Thumbs up. Thank you for that. All right. So welcome. Um, I my name is Ali Velasquez. I am part of the Wayside Men's Leadership Team, and um, we have been uh, we have been planning uh, for this event for a few months, and we've been praying for a few months for for you guys and and for what the Lord has in store for us. Um, I wanted to first welcome all of you, uh, those in person, and we also have some joining us virtually. We're really excited to have. This is our first time trying this kind of a hybrid event where we have the opportunity to do both in person and, and virtually. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about what our theme is this year, how we came about to come up with this theme as a leadership team, um, what the focus of our of our topics are going to be, and tell you a little bit of just kind of the experience that, that, that developed. So our theme this year is Thrive. Um, and, and kind of the, the, the thought behind that is, is living with certainty in an uncertain world. And, you know, what, what happens every year, you know, in the fall or so, we were, as a leadership team, meeting uh, back in September, October timeframe, thinking about, um, you know, the topic for this year's retreat. And we think, we always look back and, and we think about last year, we had a retreat, if you guys remember, it was a leap year. We had it in, um, at the end of February, right before the pandemic, right? And our focus was, was lift and, and living with a life with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the year before that, we talked about prayer and being connected. Uh, the year before that, we talked about come and see and relational discipleship, right? So we each year, um, as we as we pray and brainstorm as a as a leadership team, we think about um, you know what what is it that the Lord has in store for us as 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 men and wayside to, to hear about. And when we were you know sitting there in the fall, right, in, in this unprecedented year that 2020 was with the impact of COVID-19 and the pandemic and kind of the ripple effects with, with the economy and, and, and all these other things, you know, we all acknowledge and recognize that it was, a, it was a hard year. It was, um, it was difficult. And now I think it was difficult across the board for, um, for people in our communities, but we felt as we were talking about it, that as Christians, like we really, we really felt an extra challenge, uh, and, and we felt the, we felt like the enemy. It was very clear that he was very strategically using this time of uncertainty, this time of, of challenge, to attack us, right? And we all, as we were going around the table and talking about it, we all felt that way, and and we thought, if we feel this way, we know that that the men feel this way as well, and we started talking about that, and we started talking about how. You know, the, the, the enemy has very uh, specific tactics, really, that he goes after us. And we started thinking about, hey, what are, some of the, what are some of the main tactics that we have felt used against us in this season that we're in? And that's how we came up with, with, the, with the theme for each one of the talks that you guys are going to hear about today, right? The, the, the tactic of isolation, the tactic of fear, the tactic of division, the tactic of uncertainty. That, that have been used against us. And we thought, we really think that, that it is a time and a season for us to speak to, to our men and, and, and talk about effective ways to overcome those, those tactics that, that come against us as, as men of faith. And that's how, that's how this, this idea came up. And we thought, it's really, we want to talk about, not only do we want to just survive these times that we're in, we want to be men who are looked upon by by our families, by our communities, by our places of work, as as men who are able to thrive in the midst of these circumstances. So that's how what we want to talk about this 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 weekend with you with you men. We want to equip you and th- help you come up with with practical ways and, and, and ways that you can not just make it, not just hunker down and 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 see it through, right? But actually look at this time of challenge and time of uncertainty really is an opportunity and as a way to look for opportunities to thrive, to do things differently and to th- do things creatively. You know, it, it really impacted even our planning, right? As, as we were sitting here in, in the fall thinking about this event now, we, we really had no idea what were, what were numbers going to look like in, 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 in COVID numbers locally in San Antonio or around the country. Um, what, what is that going to be? Are, are we going to be able to do an in-person event at all? So we really started, you know, planning with contingency of figuring out, you know, if we had to do this 100% virtually, could we pull it off? How would we do that, right? And started our planning for this kind of hybrid event, and we've got, we've got that. But, you know, one of the neat things is that we, as we were doing it, we, you know, we realized that we could look at this thing, this challenge that we had as, as a challenge 
or we could look at it as an, as an opportunity. And we really started looking at a different angle and thinking, you know what, we actually have an opportunity here. So um, we started thinking a little bit more broadly, like the fact that we can do it virtually actually gives us some, some flexibility. So one of the neat things that we were able to do that has worked out is we, we actually reached out to some of our missionary partners around the world and um, specifically said, hey, we are going to be speaking to our men about these, these four different topics. Could you share with us a testimony in the last several months of, of your life and as you serve? And, and you know, we've got, you're going to hear some testimonies from missionaries who serve in India, in Peru, in Africa, and in the Middle East uh, about how they have um, dealt with some of these same challenges that we've dealt with here in the United States of isolation, fear, division, and uncertainty. So we, we are, you know, kind of expanding our horizons in that. And then the other thing that we did um, is we, we sent a note out to all of our missionary partners and to the men and said, hey, you know, we are going to have the opportunity to, if, if you want to join us, you know, some of them have very difficult uh, time zone differences. But if you want to join us for some of the retreat, you're welcome to dial into the meeting and, uh, you know, hear the topics that we're going to be talking about. And we had responses from, from missionaries in Europe, Asia, the Middle East, and South America with a desire to, to join part or some of the retreat, right? So um, so all of a sudden we realized that we, we, we took something that was a challenge as we were trying to plan this event in the midst of a pandemic and thought about how can we make those things an opportunity to do something um, new, different, better than we've ever done before. Um, so we're really excited to have you all here. We're really excited uh, for what the Lord has in store for us, the word that he has for for each one of us in, in, in some of these things, some of these sessions that we're going to hear about. And, and and not just the sessions, but also the interaction that you have with other men in the breakout groups, right? Like it's, it, those are times for you all to, to connect, to to encourage, to be open and honest, and and to know that we're in this together, right? Like that, 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 that community is something that is going to help us in these times that we're in. Um, so we are, um, we're just thankful, we're excited, uh, we are um, looking forward to what the Lord has in store, and um, we're really glad that you guys are here and excited to, to get to worship with you and get to share these words with you guys. So again, welcome. Um, the leadership team there in, in the building will give you some more details as far as logistics, and then tomorrow we're going to be uh, in-person folks, we're going to be up in T-Bar-M in New Braunfels, so You'll, you'll hear some details about that as we break up, but we're really thankful for you guys to be here, and we're really excited that you get to join us. Isolation. The answer to isolation is the community. All of us are part of a church community. Does that mean isolation is not happening? Probably church is the place where most isolations are happening. As a pastor, this is one of the things I uh, deal with. Uh, I tell them, I tell uh, my congregation members that they need to make the first move. They need to be part of a community through communication, through relationships, through life groups. Maybe they have to exchange their telephone numbers, email IDs, and uh, talk to them, call them, and get plugged into a life group where uh, you share meal with others and also exchange ideas. Participate in retreats, uh, men's group. Uh, slowly, we feel we come out of isolation. And a church should be a place where isolation should not happen. And it doesn't automatically happen unless we make the first step. God bless. Well, good evening, men. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Wayside, and specifically, I'm the men's pastor here at Wayside, and uh, there's no place I would rather be than here tonight. Uh, I love you, men, uh, each and every one of you, and I love men's ministry, and I love the opportunity to see men get challenged and not just survive but thrive. Thrive in their workplaces, thrive in their homes, thrive in their relationships, uh, thrive. And so this weekend we have the opportunity to look at, in essence, what's happened to us, 
what's happened to us over this past year. And that is uncertainty has happened to us. And so we're going to crack open the scriptures and we're going to look at four topics. Uh, We're going to look at the topic of isolation. We're going to look at the topic of fear. We're going to look at the topic of division. And we're going to look in general at the topic of uncertainty. Because these are four tactics that Satan often uses against us in times of uncertainty that thwart or threaten our spiritual lives. And so it gives us the opportunity to draw near. And I love the opportunity to come together with men and draw near because in my life, I had the opportunity to have men who poured into me and who caused me to receive that. And as they did, I had an appreciation for what can happen when men come together. I also have appreciation for what can happen when men come together because of the conversations that go on. Uh, The conversation that went on when I was talking to a few of you tonight. Uh, For example, uh, one conversation went like this. Stephen, you're looking old. Now, I am 50, but I didn't think I was looking old yet. As a matter of fact, I just got my hair cut, and I walked into my wife the other day, and I said, hey, don't I look good? She said, you look good, baby. That's her answer. Uh, But we continued on with that conversation, and I said, well, yeah, I'm 50. You can see it on the top of my head. And my friend over here says, well, yeah, you know what that means, don't you? Uh, If you've got balding on the top of your head, that means you think you're sexy. And I was like, okay, I got that one covered. Well, well then I continued on, and he said, well, wait a minute. What about the front of your head? I thought, well, I've got that pretty much covered. He said, well, if you've got the front of your hair missing, that means you're a thinker. And if you're a thinker, and I was like, I must not be a thinker because the front of my hair is still here. And he said, well, wait a minute. If you've lost the front and the back of your head, you just think you're sexy. And those are the kind of conversations that I love, right? The conversations that happen among men in freedom, right? In freedom. And so this weekend, tonight, and and tomorrow, I hope that we can have those kind of conversations that are freeing for us to be honest and to be open and to have fun with one another. Because I grew up around men who were open and honest and had fun with one another and talked about all kinds of things. And so tonight, we're going to find out how many honest men we have in the room. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind, and I want you to be honest. But if it's inappropriate, don't say it. Yeah, exactly. What's the first thing that comes to your mind, or what's the first thing you want to do when you get angry? What's the first thing you want to do when you get angry? Talk to me. Hit someone. Hit someone, right? right? First thing you sometimes you want to fight, right? You want to move toward when you get angry, right? What else? Run, right? What's the first thing you want to do when you get angry? Sometimes you want to run away, flight, right? When you get angry, sometimes for us men, it's either fight or flight. Well, let me ask you this question. What's the first thing you think of when your wife's mad at you? Everybody runs, right? Everybody runs. And in essence, it's funny because a lot of us men do struggle with our anger, but it's a picture. That is a picture of one of the ways that we isolate ourselves. When we experience certain emotions as men, we run. We choose isolation. And I might say to you that I think men in general are one of the Species on earth, might we say, that are the most isolated of everyone, of every creature, men tend to live life alone. And I don't mean that we, mean, that we tend to live life alone as in we're not in the presence of people. We tend to 
live life alone because we emotionally disconnect or we disconnect in our minds and we have all these thoughts and problems in our minds that we're trying to solve on our own, men tend to be very, very isolated. And the reality is that Satan uses isolation in our lives to thwart us spiritually because it's when we are isolated that we begin to become selfish and that selfish desires begin to work their way through. Even if we're in the presence of people, if we're thinking to ourselves, if we're not sharing, if we're not engaging emotionally, if we're isolated, even when we're in the presence of people, we can oftentimes turn inward and become selfish. And so before we look at how to thrive in isolation, we need to talk about the two ways that we become isolated. And it's real simple. Usually, one of two things happen when we become isolated. Uh, Number one, we become isolated because isolation is done to us. The governmental authority says, COVID exists, you must stay in your home. Isolation is done to us, right? Um, And our example tonight, Paul was imprisoned. He was arrested and imprisoned as a criminal. He was isolated, not by choice. That's one way we become isolated. Uh, The second way we become isolated, though, is that we choose isolation. As I've mentioned already, this occurs when we use isolation in order to try to escape our emotions, our problems, our circumstances. And for us men, that's a problem. And I'm going to call it what it is. Because we use isolation to escape our emotions, our problems, and our circumstances. I told my wife not too long ago that um, we, were, we were talking, and we were talking fairly intimately and deeply about some things. And, and I told her, I said, on a scale of 1 to 10, and I've been married 27 years, 27 years. On a scale of 1 to 10, um, I said, zero being I'm totally on eggshells, and I can't share anything on my heart with you. I, can't, I don't feel like I can share anything with you because I'm totally on eggshells. That's a zero. A 10 is my heart is wide open to you and I feel like I can share everything I ever thought about with you without fear, without shame, without condemnation. Zero to 10. I told her, I'm a six. I'm a six. And I said this, but I want to be an eight or a nine. I'm a six, not because of you, I'm a six because of me. I'm a six because I tend sometimes as a man to choose isolation. I tend sometimes to man to, as a man to choose not to share. Uh, so the other day she said, well, I know you're a six. I'm giving you the opportunity right now to be an eight. Right? And what was she saying? Talk to me. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm open. Talk to me. And I love that because now we have a little venue to invite the opportunity to draw near to one another and to escape isolation. And so whether isolation occurs for reasons beyond us, it's done to us, or whether isolation becomes because we choose it, it's one of the most effective strategies that Satan uses against us as believers. And it works. It works because the more isolated we become the more we make decisions that seek out selfish desires. Proverbs 18.1 says this, the one who separates himself seeks his own desire. And so tonight we're going to be looking at an example in Paul's letter to Timothy where Paul's life was isolated due to circumstances beyond our control. And we've all experienced some of that in this last year. And while our example comes for the first reason, we sometimes find ourselves isolated for the second reason. We choose it. And in any event, in each of these cases, the principles that we're going to lay out tonight, the principles that we're going to see tonight apply equally to both reasons, whether we find ourselves isolated or whether we choose isolation. They apply to both. 
And so the question is this, is it possible to thrive, not simply just survive in isolation? When AD 66, Paul wrote his last letter to his beloved Timothy from a filthy, cold, miserable, dark prison as he awaited execution by Nero. He says this, for which I suffered hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, 2 Timothy 2.9. Paul exhorts Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and to suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Timothy was to face reality. But realize this, Paul says to him, that in the last days, difficult times will come. He says, listen, Timothy, difficulty is not new. We're all going to experience great difficulty. But he's challenging Timothy and he's calling Timothy as his protege and his mentee. He's calling him to do so with unflappable courage and purpose and resolve. He says this, but you, young Timothy, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And so how did Paul thrive in isolation? The second Timothy chapter 4. He lays this foundation of what I might call resilience on five pillars. There's five things that Paul is doing as a person and he is communicating to Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 18, that builds a foundation of resilience toward isolation. And that's what I want to call us to do as men. Uh, To begin to think about isolation, to begin to think about how it affects us in our lives, and then to begin to build that foundation of resilience toward that. Paul is about to be beheaded. And he knows he's going to die. And he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. He says to Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. And in the future, there's reserved for me the crown of righteousness. Paul knows where he's going. And he knows what he's going to obtain. He says, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all he loved, who, to, to all who have loved his appearing. Now, Paul knows he's going to be executed, but he also knows he's going to see the Lord. For he says in Philippians, to be absent for the body is to be present with the Lord. And so he knows where he stands. And he says this, he's isolated in this cold dark prison. He has Luke there with him. Uh, But he says this as he finishes up 2 Timothy. He says, make every effort to come to me soon. He's calling for Timothy. He's calling for him to come. He says, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Did you catch that? And gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to uh, Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark along with you and bring him, for he is useful to me for service. But I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. He says, when you come, bring the overcoat, which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, bring the books and bring the parchments, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself too. For he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my, def- at my first defense, no one supported me. But all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me. And strengthen me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles, that's you and me, might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. 
The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Five pillars that Paul, through the living of his life, through the narrative of this scripture, five pillars that help us build resilience toward the tactic that Satan uses called isolation. Pillar number one, friendship. Friendship. Notice what he says. Make every effort to come to me soon. Uh, Timothy wasn't just Paul's protege. Timothy was Paul's friend. Uh, All these people that Paul interacted with, all these people that he did ministry with, uh, were not simply his underlings. Uh, They were not simply people who worked in the gospel with him. They were people who he was in community with. They were people whom he loved deeply. They were people who were his friends. And faithful friends don't desert one another. Notice what he says. He says, Demas has deserted me because he's loved this world. Uh, There was something about the challenge of the gospel that overcame Demas, and he wasn't able to continue on, and so he deserted the mission because of the world's cares. And Paul says, he's deserted me. And and these other two have gone. He talks about... uh, Uh, Christians and Titus, and we don't know why exactly they left, whether they deserted or not. I don't think they deserted. Uh, I think they probably went on mission elsewhere. Uh, Demas is the only one called out for deserting. But faithful friends don't desert one another. And as men, we need brothers. We deeply need brothers. Uh, We need men to come along us and around us and beside us to be our friends. Uh, Paul needed others. He said, Luke is with me now. He called that out. But then he said this, bring Mark. Bring Mark. He's useful. Now, Paul and Mark had had a run-in previously, and now Paul is calling for him, saying he's useful. Now, think about this. Paul is on his death, his death watch, and he's still interacting with his friends and his partners in ministry. He's still doing ministry up to the very, very end. He says in verse 16 that at one point at his first defense that no one supported him and that everyone had deserted him. You talk about feeling isolated. Everyone had deserted him. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Listen to this wisdom It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them fails, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one whom he falls where there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they, they can keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's interesting that the Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is talking about pairs here throughout this. And all of a sudden, right at the end, he says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. I tend to wonder if he's thinking about two plus one. Two plus one. The Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 14, and 27 talk about the fact that the body, that is the community of the, called the church, the body of Christ is not one part, but many parts. Uh, we're made up of many, but we're viewed as one. We are a unity that is viewed as one, the body of Christ, and yet we are made up of many. We're designed to be a part of community. Did you hear that? We are designed as men to be part of community. And so living in community combats isolation. It combats isolation. At one time we were having a leadership 
team meeting. And in our leadership team meetings with the men, the first thing we do is we pray. And we talk about our lives. We have a meeting maybe once every other month, um, sometimes once a month. Uh, but about every other month we have a meeting. And we catch up. But we talk to one another. We share with one another. And, and sometimes we'll talk for an hour before we'll ever start the meeting. And, and I talk to the guys and I say, look, one of the most important things that we can do is to be together and to do life together as a team before we take the challenge to do ministry together on behalf of others. And so we share and we talk. And one, one of our team meetings I was sharing and I was talking and I was talking about the fact that I was feeling more isolated in San Antonio than I wanted to. That I had been here as a pastor a few years and that I hadn't made as many friends as I wanted to or as I hoped to. And a pastor can be a lonely place. A pastor can be a place where friendship is difficult to come by. And so I was sharing this with my leadership team, and I was asking them for prayer for friends. And as I was sharing this, Britt Jenkins looked at me, and I know you remember what you said. He looked at me, and he said, I'll be your friend. And that was like salve on the ointment. It was like ointment on a hurt heart. That's what we all need, men. We need somebody to look at us and say, I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend. We need friends because friends help us stay out of isolation. Friends keep us focused. Friends keep us accountable. We need that band of brothers. We need that community of family. We need the ones who will love us and tell us what we need to hear, not just what we want to hear. That's what we need. We all need a friend. Notice pillar number two, though. Uh, Paul's talking about his friends, and he's asking them to come. And he says this, when you come, bring my cloak, which I left with Carpus. And he says, bring the books and especially the parchments. Right? Uh, Paul is focused on getting the materials that he needs in order to do the ministry that God's called him to do, even up to his last breath. He, he could have been isolated and thrown a pity party and been in jail and just said, I'm done, I'm over, there's no way I can do anything. But he's calling people to him. He's saying, bring them to me. Bring, them, bring me the materials. Let me do ministry. Because I've got a role as the apostle to the Gentiles to fill. And Jesus is going to give me the strength I need to fulfill it. And by golly, I'm going to do it until my last breath. Uh, Paul is calling on his friends, but he's also staying focused on his target. And all of us lose focus from time to time. All of us lose focus. And we lose focus more quickly, though, when we're isolated. Matter of fact, if we choose isolation... My guess is we've probably already lost focus. That's the reason we've chosen isolation. Uh, but sometimes, if it's beyond our control, we'll eventually go through a period where we'll lack focus. And others keep us focused because there are partners, and there's an unspoken accountability that comes with being in community. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There's unspoken accountability. And the unspoken accountability here is where Paul says, bring Mark. He's useful for service. Uh, Paul is still focused. He's still doing ministry. He's still calling on others. And there's an unspoken accountability in, in uh, uh, no matter what circumstance that we find ourselves in, there's an unspoken accountability of trying to choose rightly and righteously and live well. He sends tick. Tychicus to Ephesus. And so others keep us focused because they're our partners. Uh, how many men in the, 
room or online, how, how many of you guys were working at an office before COVID hit? Right? Many of us. And then how many of us worked from home during COVID as a result of COVID? How many people? I did. I worked from home. Right? About half of us, many of us. And then how many of us um, are going back to work now that kind of loosened up, right? We're going back to work. How many are back to work? Like two of you. Well, maybe four of you, right? A few of us are going back to work. But how many are staying at home to work? Your, your, your boss has said, look, you're staying at home, right? You can do just as well from home. But how many have lost focus at one point or another working from home? Double hands, right? I know I have. Uh, there's dogs that I love at home. I want to stop and pet my dogs. There's a wife uh, sometimes at home, even though my wife works outside of the home as well, but sometimes she's at home, right? There's tasks to be done. There's plumbing to be fixed. There's leaves to be raked. I mean, there's so many things at home. There's dishes to be done. There's so many things you could get distracted of. There's a stereo sitting in front of me. There's music. There's a TV. There's so many different things at home that you could get distracted through. And I'll tell you, this, this time of working from home was a challenge for me. And I know it was a challenge for some of you. It was a challenge for me because there's a few simple routines that I might have experienced at the office that I didn't take the extra effort to go through at home. Let me give you an example. If I was preparing a talk or a sermon or a teaching or something uh, such as what we find ourselves in tonight, if I was at the office, I might walk two doors down and sit down with Jason Upmore and say, hey, what do you think about this? Or what about that? Or here's what I'm thinking about for an outline. Talk to me. And get st- I get instant feedback, right? Two doors down, 10 minutes, and I'm back in my office and I'm typing away. Still going, right? When I'm at home, I've got to go two more steps or three more steps to contact Jason Upmore, right? I've got to say, hey, can you Zoom in 10 minutes, right? Or, hey, can I call you? Or text him and say, hey, can I get with you? And then he's got to not be distracted and at home, and he's, he's got to be there and be able at that moment. It's, it's not just like walking down the hall and sitting with each other and going, hey, what do you think? Boom, boom. It takes extra effort. And, and because it takes ex- extra effort, we don't always do it. I, found my, I found myself working from home feeling alone, feeling isolated, trying to think about men's ministry in front of my fireplace, and there's no one to do men's ministry with. And yet there's everyone to do men's ministry with. It just takes a reinventing or a different way or an extra effort. But at first, I didn't know what that looked like, didn't know what that extra effort looked like. Maybe some of you experienced that in your work as well. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Pillar number three, notice what Paul says here. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Verse 15, be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Uh, Pillar number three, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Uh, There's nothing that can make us feel more isolated than a lack of forgiveness in our lives or unforgiveness in our lives. Because when we have unforgiveness in our lives, what happens is our relationships are strained and they can't operate the way God intended. They can't operate normally. When those relationships are strained, when there's bitterness or or fear or unforgiveness, we struggle. And the reality is somebody will probably always be against us. Not everybody is ever going to like us all the time. I I wish that were the case. I mean, in eighth grade, I was voted the most friendliest, right? I'm I'm a friendly, loving, go-lucky kind of person. But some people don't like me. And I don't like that. But that's true. 
Some people don't. And here's the thing. Somebody will always be against you. But notice what Paul does here. He gives them to God. Notice what he says. Alexander, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Paul didn't say, I'm going to repay him according to his deeds. He said, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. He gave him to God to judge. Romans 12, 19 says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Your enemy. If your enemy needs clothing, give him your clothes. Your enemy. He says, leave room for the wrath of God. In other words, forgiveness is all about handing somebody over to the Lord. It's about not taking your own vengeance on somebody, giving that up, and rather giving them to the Lord for judgment. Forgiveness is for us, but forgiveness is also for them. And Paul says, may it not be counted against them. And here's the thing. Unforgiveness unforgiveness always moves us toward isolation in relationships. Unforgiveness will move you to isolation very, very quickly in your relationships. But forgiveness, on the other hand, forgiveness will move us toward relationship. Forgiveness will move us toward unity. Forgiveness will move us toward one another, right? It may take a while. It may take a little while to establish trust again, but forgiveness always moves us toward relationship. Pillar number four, faith. Faith. Notice what he says in 4.17. He's just forgiven them and said, The Lord, may it not be counted against them, the Lord will deal with them. He said, even though everybody has deserted me, the Lord stood with me and the Lord strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all of the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Faith. Faith isn't a belief in the circumstances that we desire. We all desire for our circumstances to be nice. I'm a comfort seeker. I'm a comfort seeker. All of us want circumstances to be a certain way, especially as Americans. But faith isn't a belief in the, isn't a belief in the circumstances we desire. Faith instead trusts with certainty that something I don't have today will be received tomorrow. Faith trusts with certainty that something that I don't have today will be received tomorrow. It's real and it's true. It's just not received yet. When we get to heaven and we see Jesus face to face, there'll be no need for faith because we'll see him for all of who he is face to face. We'll understand fully at that point. But now it's impossible to please God without faith, the scripture says. Faith is grown, though, when it's tested. Faith is grown when it's tested. Notice what he says. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Why did the Lord stand with Paul and strengthen him? When everyone deserted him and Paul's faith was tested... Paul says, the Lord strengthened me. Why? Notice what it says. So that my mission could be accomplished. So that the gospel to go to the Gentiles. That's me and that's you, man. That's the Gentiles back then. And it's multiplied for 2,000 years. And it's reached us. The gospel. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And the promise is this, that if we believe that he died for us in our place... And we trust in his provision for us that we'll have eternal life in him. And we have his righteousness, not our own. 
D.L. Moody, the founder of Moody Bible Institute, once said, Someday you're going to read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield, Illinois, is dead. Don't you believe it for a second. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. How are some people like D.L. Moody? How are some people so confident in what they don't see? Everybody's heard the expression, just have faith, it'll work out. But what if it doesn't work out? What if we suffer? Well, faith comes beforehand, and faith waits, sometimes patiently, on fulfillment. And sometimes faith doesn't get fulfillment in this life, but instead it gets fulfillment in the next. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Paul is so close to death. He's so close to his death sentence, and he knows it. But notice his final conviction in verse 18, and this is pillar number five. Pillar number five on dealing with isolation. A future hope. That is, you see a future. You see a future. Now, what is hope? I hope it rains today. Is that hope? Is hope statistical chance? What is biblical hope? Uh, my son has a basketball game tomorrow night, and I hope he wins. Is that hope? I hope I get a promotion. Uh, so often when we think about hope, we use the word to express a future desire that's rooted in probability. But that's not biblical hope. The implication in I hope it rains today is that it might not rain today. The implication in that I hope my son wins is that he may not win. Now, we get used to understanding hope as a statistical chance, and then we apply that biblically. And that's not biblical hope. Hope in the Bible isn't expressed through statistical chance. Instead, it's expressed through the will and the character of the giver. The hope of a Christian is grounded and rooted in the character of God who is good and who cannot tell a lie. God shoots straight with us men and he will not ever tell a lie. And if he says it, we can bank on it. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 6. He says, if we died with Christ, then we certainly will live with him. If we died with him through baptism, the picture of death with Christ, death to our sins, then we certainly, Paul says, not maybe, not hopefully, but certainly will live with him. And so we're raised to walk in new life with Christ. Biblical hope is grounded and rooted in the character of God who cannot lie. And so when we hope biblically, we have a sure confidence. We have a moral expectation that God is going to fulfill his promise. Now, so much so that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, if the resurrection didn't happen, we're all fools. Go eat, drink, and be merry. May we all be pitied among others. But boy, if the resurrection did happen, and it did, then God who cannot lie, who's promised us, gives us a hope that is not grounded in statistical chance, but a hope that is grounded in his promises so that we have a moral expectation. Psalm 147, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Notice Paul's conviction in verse 18. The Lord will, future, rescue me from every evil deed. He doesn't say he's going to rescue me from death. He's not going to rescue me from my circumstances. He's not going to rescue me from jail. He's going to rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And Paul is so confident in this that he breaks out in doxology. 
Uh, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's conviction is that the Lord will rescue him and will bring him safely exactly as he has promised. Amen? Amen. And so he breaks out in doxology. How do we combat isolation? How do we thrive rather than just surviving in isolation? Number one, friendship. We got to have some friends, men. And you want somebody to look at you and say, I'll be your friend. Number two. Number two. Uh, friendship. That was number one. Number two, focus. Uh, Paul was focused on his mission. He was focused on what the Lord was doing through him. And we too are called to be focused. We're all going to lose focus from time to time. It's hard. But focus will help us keep from being isolated. Forgiveness. Because unforgiveness moves us uh, toward withdrawal and isolation. Uh, forgiveness. Faith. Finally, faith. Not a belief in the circumstances that we desire, uh, but a belief that is real and true, not just received yet. And finally, hope. Biblical hope. Not statistical chance, but biblical hope. Five pillars to apply to help us stay grounded and out of isolation. Romans 8, 37, 38 is our, and 37 through 39 is our retreat verse. It says this, but in all these things, whatever it is that we're experiencing, in all these things, whatever it is that we're suffering from, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May we pray. Lord God, isolation is our tendency as men. Sometimes we are comfortable, more comfortable in it than we need to be. Lord, may you help us apply each and every one of these pillars that might build a foundation so that we could combat Satan's tactic of isolation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.